everybody, and welcome to the Neighbors Church podcast and the month of June and this session of our conversations, just an ongoing topical conversation between myself, my wife, other leaders within our community around the various topics and themes and ideas that uh, are forming Neighbors Church. We've been in a series of conversations over these past months exploring seven core convictions that are forming our small group. Uh, We're resourcing our trainings in these seven core convictions and looking to really shape our community around these convictions. And um, today we reach a a really powerful one, a difficult one, but a powerful one. And and let me just open it by by saying and acknowledging um, how heavy, how heavy are these days? Uh, our cultural moment finds Western society, and I, I would say many of our souls, in deep crisis. There's, of course, the political upheaval, social and racial tensions everywhere. We see the splintering of our society into multiple tribes, the just the horrific, senseless evil mm-hmm. of innocent people and children um, dying at the hands of armed human beings. Just just satanic, senseless things. Uh, The war in Ukraine, the continual up and down of COVID cases and plague. And then there are our own personal struggles, um, a culture of deconstruction and doubt, a rising... um, I suppose, pressure against the church, especially churches like ours that have a courageous commitment to uh, orthodoxy, a fidelity to orthodoxy, historical traditional positions that no longer uh, fit and actually are deemed dangerous and damaging by our cultural surroundings. Oh, dear soul, can we all just take a moment here at the beginning of this conversation and acknowledge that these are heavy days there's this interesting passage that comes to my mind in St. Paul in 2 Corinthians. Paul, this juggernaut of a church planter, he just seemed to be a powerhouse of gospel fruitfulness. He spent much of his life actually in prison, beaten down and in obscurity, and yet the fruit of his life goes on throughout history. And in writing to the Corinthians, he describes this time of being pressed to his limits, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In fact, he says, we came to the place where we believed we had been given the sentence of death. Yeah, the blow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like literally, it felt like in the man's life, this great church planter, this, this saint of God, that Paul would so clearly and transparently write to his communities in Corinth. I went through this season where it felt like God had dealt me a death blow and I was going to die. And of course, we know Paul lived um, up until his martyrdom, and he would go on to write to the Corinthians that, that that seeming death blow was to train him to depend even more deeply on God. And in so many ways, the cultural crisis and the personal crisis of our day is bringing us really to the end of ourselves. Maybe right now, as you're listening to this conversation, you you find yourself on the brink. And I and my wife, we really feel compelled to encourage you Uh, to be on the brink, to be at the end of yourself while terrifying and disorienting and overwhelming is so powerful because you're being trained 
in true dependence on God all the way through to even the possibility of your death. You know, we often talk about <clears throat> this thin space between heaven and earth. And, and I would actually say that- <laughs> And it sounds so beautiful it, and peaceful. Yeah, but I'd, I'd say that the that brink that Dan is talking about is a beautiful and sacred and holy thin space. Mm. Yeah, we use the language of living on the frontiers as an outpost of the kingdom of God. And <clears throat> the frontiers are wild places and the frontiers are dangerous places and the frontiers are overwhelming and confusing places. So, dear soul, as we begin our conversation today, if you find yourself under the weight, the burden of our current moment or in your own personal labors, be blessed if you are being brought to the end of yourself because it is bringing you to a place of true prayer, a place where we begin to cry out with heart, mind, body, soul, strength in a way that a painless context does not produce. Right. The word that we are employing for this sixth conviction or fifth conviction, I think, yeah, our fifth conviction is to be a people of contending, contending. You know, the cultural commentator and exegete Mark Sayers from Australia, he often says that crisis is an opportunity for renewal. And so we are really on the cusp in the West as the church and in, this, in, in, in our personal moments of this end of self and this desperation that's being birthed in us where our own abilities and our own strength and our own strategies and our own ideas have just utterly failed. And we are left with nothing but prayer. The psalmist said in Psalm 63:1, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. This is the sacred and blessed desperation of living on the frontiers between heaven and earth as an outpost of the kingdom of God. We live in a dry and parched and weary wilderness where there is no water. And therefore God's people can no longer drink from the broken cisterns of the world and its comforts. We are being called to cry out with our whole being for our personal and for our social lives and the kingdom of God to penetrate those places and make an impact with our whole being. Crisis is the beginning of personal renewal. Crisis is the beginning of cultural renewal. And you and I, for such a time of this, as this, for such a time as this, we have been placed in this generation. And our prayer for you in the midst of this conversation, as we've been having these conversations in our church and with each other, is that rather than bitterness and resignation, rather than deconstruction, there would be a renewal of contending, mm -hmm. crying out and prayer. And so this is our fifth conviction, contending. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, just in its most, uh, you know, base, you know, definition of contending, what we're talking about here is speak, uh, seeking spiritual awakening in those parched and desperate places. It's pressing in, in prayer, seeking spiritual awakening. It's praying fervently for the outpouring of the spirit um, that would bring revival, not only personally, but in our church and spiritual awakening in the uh, larger culture. And so this is what we actually see in the history of the Bible. I was thinking about this yesterday. You see over and over again, mm -hmm. God's mm -hmm. people 
reaching the end of themselves and genuinely crying out in desperation. That's what's so beautiful about the Bible. It's just unapologetic in its rawness. Right. It's not heroes. Mm -hmm. And so you see the Israelites, you know, fleeing Egypt, obeying, you know, Moses has said, God is going to deliver you. Yahweh will deliver you. And they're let, you know, Moses crying out, let my people Mm go. They leave Egypt and then they end up at the Red Sea the Egyptians coming after them. They're between this rock and a hard place, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And all they can do is cry out for deliverance. And we all know if you've seen Prince of Egypt or you've read the Bible, the sea divides and the people are able to walk through. They walk into their deliverance. You Mm -hmm. see it also, you know, with them circling the walls of Jericho seven times, you know, I love the beauty of that seven times because there's that that picture again of contending. Each day, it may seem crazy, but they're each day circling the walls of Jericho. Yeah, I think you, <laughs> I think you hit it on the head too. Bible stories are crazy. Like to contend and cry out in the midst of cultural or personal crisis, <clears throat> it seems crazy. And sometimes our embodied crying out requires us to do strange things, which I think we've been talking about. We'll probably hit that in this conversation somewhere along the way. Mm -hmm. You also see Hezekiah's prayer against the invading invading armies of Assyria and his prayer for healing. That's a really interesting one because in that one, you see this picture of how Satan attacks God's people. Mm -hmm. There's this character in Hezekiah, prior to Hezekiah's prayer called the Rabshakeh. He's this gnarly Assyrian delegate who comes and he sits and he mocks. He mocks God's people. He mocks Hezekiah. Mm -hmm. He literally says, you guys are all doomed to eat your own feces. It's disgusting. And he also says, wasn't it your God that sent us here to destroy you? I mean, it's this lie. And, And you see how Satan has the Hebrews in a vice grip of fear and diminishment of who God's love is. Mm -hmm. And it, it bears our conscious awareness that Satan in these times is wanting to put a vice grip on your mind and lie to us about who God is and how he actually is partnering with us to bring betterment to this world. So discern that. Hezekiah's prayer, Jehoshaphat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even with Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, he's facing this impossible army and in utter desperation, he, he says basically, we don't know what to do, but our eyes on our, our eyes are on you. We don't have the power to face this vast army attacking us. We don't know what to do, so we're fixing our eyes on you, our deliverer. Yeah, we have been meditating for the past few days, actually, in Isaiah chapter sixty-four. Isaiah actually just prays in the midst of terrible pain and loss. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Listen to the scope of his prayer. Mm-hmm. He, he is praying in desperation for all the nations to quake before the power of God, for fire to come, for the heavens to rend. Verse three, he prays for when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. The curious thing about entering into a life of contending is we usually have a whole set of expectations. We are praying for specific things. That's good. And we have expectations of how God will answer those things. That is okay. 
What we find in the biblical history, though, is that God usually answers these prayers in unexpected ways, in surprising ways. And so as we get into this conversation, the big overarching idea is for us to begin to earnestly commit to crying out with Isaiah for God in these days to rend the heavens, Mm -hmm. to open our own souls, to reinvigorate a first love for him and a desperation to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and to pray radical, bold, ridiculous prayers. Father, we pray tongues of fire would come upon us. We pray to preach to the nations and see this world transformed by your glory and by your good. I love uh, in the NET version yesterday, you read that. It doesn't say rend the heavens, is it? Like tear open? Tear them open. Yeah. Rip open, shred the heavens to pieces. Mm -hmm. The barrier between heaven and earth is the idea. Just shred it to pieces. And, And really, honestly, as Christians, the symbology of the veil in the temple the veil that separated the most holy place from the common places, that was a symbol of our separation. And when Jesus died, Matthew yeah. tells us that the veil was torn in two. Come on. So <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of little bit of preaching happening this morning. Uh, oh boy, may that comfort your heart. Mm-hmm. The veil has been torn. And now we, the embodiment of Jesus' body, we are that that living expression of the presence of God in this world. It is a grave and weighty uh, responsibility. And so no matter how broken you are right now, and we're going to talk here in a moment about unanswered prayers, no matter how broken you are, commit. Mm-hmm. Even right now, pause this podcast and cry out to your God, your creator, and say, reinvigorate me by your spirit to pray in earnest to contend for the lost, to contend for my situations, to contend for the hurting in this world. Yeah, I think before we get into, you know, further into the conversation, I think just to briefly, it'd be good to briefly just address uh, the elephant in the room. So as we're talking about contending and crying out and seeking God, I think we have to acknowledge that Oftentimes we don't contend because of unmet expectations and we don't press into prayer because we don't get the instant answers that we want. And we uh, that can kind of lead us into this place of believing the lie that prayer is pointless and mm-hmm. that it's not having any effect. I'm actually reading, continuing just to slowly read through Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray. And I've, I'm in the section, the chapter on petitioning And he talks about how our prayers actually influence God and Mm -hmm. what's happening in the world. Our our prayers influence God and our prayers can influence, um, you know, what's happening, the negative things that are happening in this world that are prevailing. Our prayers can influence those things and stop Mm -hmm. things from happening. Our prayers matter, but so often because of our own personal unmet expectations and not getting the quick answers to prayer that we want, we give up. We don't persist and continue to pray. I need you to pastor my heart. Yeah, I have always taken such inspiration from you. Um, You, of course, are a sinner and you have your own faults. But one of the things that I respect in you more than anything is your, it just seems to be an indomitable faith. And you've told me that you struggle. But 
for myself, pastor me and pastor those who are at the brink, you know, people that find themselves too many unmet expectations. How have you, babe, continued to contend? Because you've faced it. In, in many ways, you've been in it and are in it right now. And yet you have this like residual, resolute faith. How does that work in your life? It's, it's incredible to me. I don't mean to make it seem, you know, overly simplistic or just, you know, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to minimize uh, that mm-hmm. struggle that many do have. And like Dan said, uh, though he says, wow, you've, you've got just this indomitable faith. I daily have to come back to a place of, okay, do I believe in who God has revealed himself to be? And so for me, um, it's not that I'm just some powerhouse of faith, but I would say it's, it's that partnership. It's recognizing I have a part to play and a choice to say hmm. whether my feelings are lining up with, with everything, I'm going to choose to say, I'm going to walk by faith today and I'm going to enter into um, looking at my circumstances through who God has revealed himself to be. Because I would also say when we get, um, when we're struggling with doubt, I would say that our our view of God is also skewed mm-hmm. in, who, in who he is. And so little things like anchoring ourselves in texts, like literally going after texts that say, here's who God's revealed himself to be. Faithful, good, just, righteous, those things and anchoring myself in those things. A good shepherd, and saying, okay, I'm going to choose today in this moment to walk by faith. I don't look far into the future. I say, for today. For today. This is what I'm doing. I'm choosing to obey. And it doesn't mean that one moment in the morning of choosing faith, it doesn't mean that the rest of the day it's easy, but it's a choice to say, I'm going to enter in by faith and believe that I'm doing what I need to be doing in obedience and in partnership with Spirit as I live my life today. Yeah. That's, that's, that's why I'm going to be your roadie someday as you're on your speaking tour, inspiring people. But listen, two things that I hear you saying there. One is you're not a victim of your faithlessness. You're not a victim. You have volition and responsibility in your partnership with God. And I, I receive that. I take my own responsibility and I, and I, we're not allowed before God to say, well, I'm just a victim of my unbelief. No, we, we have, that's the second thing that I hear you saying. We have a choice. You and I, every morning, every day, every moment, we have a choice to frame our world and our perspective either through what God has revealed himself to be in creation and his son and the cross and the resurrection or through our own schematic. And it is a choice. It is truly a choice that we make and it requires even that choice to contend is difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just important to remember what the word contend itself actually means. Contend means to struggle against opposition, (laughs) to strive and debate, to assert and maintain earnestly. All of those words used to define the word contend all have with them a level of work and toil that's intense. Mm -hmm. All of those words are intense. To struggle, to strive, debate, assert, maintain earnestly. And so contending flies in the face of our comfort-driven, you know, self-care. I say that carefully because self-care is important, but, you know, it flies in the face of our comfort-driven self-care, this high-speed internet, 
you know, fast food, give me what I want, instant gratification culture, and contending this life, this conviction to live a contending life, it calls us to this this lifelong labor of earnest, unceasing prayer until the heavens opened, or we come to the end of our life and that work we have to trust if we don't see answers to those prayers that work was important mm. i think that's worth the price of admission right there if you don't take anything from our little chat here about contending here's the command and i think it's the biblical exhortation choose to pray faithfully until you're dead yep and don't stop praying and contending until you're dead i don't really see any other course of action for the christian to take if we believe Christ has come, was crucified, resurrected, inaugurated the new creation project, that our God is providential and good, working out his purposes in us and through us. And his, his heart towards us is our highest flourishing in this life, but most importantly in the life to come as he forms us and enables us one day to rule alongside him and judge angels. That's what he's doing. He's preparing us to rule creation as he would rule creation then we are only left with one course of action in this cultural crisis and our personal crisis. It is to pray Mm -hmm. until the heavens rend, tear open, or we are dead and find ourselves in the presence of God. So even when you feel like you want to give in to the bitterness and the unbelief, we are not victims of bitterness. We are not hopeless in our unbelief. We can choose, and it is a great battle. It is contending. It is asserting ourselves in our volition and our will. And so we must choose to keep believing and contending. Mm-hmm. And what, what helps us in that process is knowing that God is doing something beyond our sight and is doing things that we cannot see. This is just the rubber hits the road in our faith when it comes to faith is believing in the things that we do not see yet. Just in community the other morning, one of our dear friends, we were, we were circling, orbiting around this conversation in some some way and Ty just said you know no matter what you've just got to get back to faith we all have to figure out faith that's it we have to figure out hope and faith and so there's this persistence Mm -hmm. yeah it that makes me think of the persistent widow in Luke 18 Mm -hmm. because when I think of contending I also think of the words of persistence and perseverance and in Luke 18 verses 1 through 8 it says Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So right off the bat, Luke opens chapter 18 saying, Jesus shares this parable with his disciples to remind them and to show them that they need to always pray, keep contending and not give up. Mm -hmm. Do not stop contending. Luke goes on to say, he said in verse two, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice from my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I will tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. 
However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? And so I love that whole you know, chapter in Luke 18 is all about this persisting, persevering widow who, who keeps coming back to this judge crying out. And then Jesus says, you know, am I going to find faith? Will the son of man find faith on the earth? It's so fascinating because the widow represents in ancient Jewish culture, the weakest of the weak. And the judge, the judge represents the most powerful. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is setting up this contrast, you've got this wicked, powerful, elite figure that succumbs to the weakest, the most disrespected, the most marginalized because of persistence. And it's a uh, a less than to greater than comparison that Jesus is doing in the parable. Mm-hmm. If the judge is this less than evil, wicked, powerful human creature, and this incapable, marginalized, weak widow can persuade the judge how much more God's children persisting. Yep. And one of the things that really helps us to continue to contend is scope of perspective. Right. Not giving up. If we have eternity in mind, a trillion, 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 trillion years from now, and we prayed for 120 years and it never came to pass in that 120 years, but God did something through it eternally, it, it inspires us to realize that we are sending ripples into the eternals. Yeah, and along with that scope of perspective, I would say, I've really been considering this lately. We will contend with greater conviction when we realize, again, this this scope of perspective, when we realize we are not the center of the story. <laughs> and I would say with contending, sometimes that can get convoluted where it's like we're making ourselves the center of the story and we're forgetting that we're part of the story of Jesus, that this story that we've been brought into is all about Jesus. It's about his kingdom and his rule and reign as supreme. It's not about, you know, us. And Mm. so we get to contribute to the story and our prayers, like I said, influence and have effect and weight in what can happen in this world, but we are not the center of the Mm. story. I've been considering that myself as well. I've read somewhat extensively the history of revivals and I have yet to come across a movement of God that somewhere in the the biography of that movement or the history of that movement doesn't mention these anonymous people of prayer. Every great move of God has its primary face leaders and communicators. There were you know, the Whitfields and the Edwards of the Great Awakenings. There were the Chuck Smiths and the John Wimbers of the Jesus Movement. There uh, there were the Duncan Campbell, one of my favorite, one of my favorite revivals is the Hebrides revivals uh, in a set of islands, uh, I believe around Scotland. Mm-hmm. Duncan Campbell went on to become the great communicator and face leader of those revivals. But those revivals were preceded by two little grandmas. So goes the story in the history, two little grandmas that just persisted in prayer. One of Mm. my favorite parts of that revival is these two little grandmas have heard about this great revival preacher, Duncan Campbell, and they're, they're, they're praying that he's going to come to the Hebrides, these islands. And they put out the request and Duncan says, no. And they literally respond, well, we've prayed and you're coming. (laughs) <laughs> and Duncan Campbell eventually uh, is sitting, the, the story goes, he's sitting in this, he's at a speaking engagement with thousands of people 
And he said, I was suddenly so struck and impressed by the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I must go to the Hebrides that he literally, as the keynote speaker, left mid-conference, goes to the organizers <laughs> of the conference and says, I have to leave right now. And they're like, what do you mean you have to leave right now? You're the keynote speaker. He's like, I have to go to the Hebrides. And those little grandmas persisted, the weakest of the weak, the anonymous, the unknown. Mm -hmm. And they prayed in the face leader, the communicator, Duncan Campbell, who ended up saying like two or three years in the Hebrides, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus in this massive movement of the conviction of the spirit. And it was because two grandmas persisted in their prayer. And listen, if they hadn't played their part in the economy of God, we don't know if those revivals would have happened or not. I am persuaded that without the prayers of the unknown grandmothers, those revivals never would have come about. What I love about that is it's just that reminder that everyone has their part. Uh, to play and the importance of not diminishing those prayers that we're praying in the night, those prayers that we, um, you know, are praying on our drive someplace, those random prayers that come to your mind where you're praying for the salvation of a loved one. You just never know how those prayers are influencing and, and taking shape and shaping what's happening around us. Mm. And each one of us are gonna receive our reward for our part that we're playing. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me think of, you know, the the bricks in the church building. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was recently in London and uh, doing a tour of these churches that are experiencing revival. They're all thousand year old Anglican churches. So you're, you're in these, these buildings that have existed mm -hmm. for centuries. And um, I was in Oxford sitting in this thousand year old church. And of course the brick and the architecture is just, it's stunning. And as I looked uh, at each individual brick uh, in its place, I realized mm -hmm. nobody notices each individual brick. You just notice the beauty of the overall architecture. Yeah, the but, but if one brick was missing, let's say from the archway in this particular building, everybody's eye would be drawn to that missing brick. It is that crucial. It would distract from the overall beauty if that brick was missing. And so beloved soul, put your brick in the wall today, right now. I love that. Put your brick in the wall because without it, the beauty of God's kingdom and this cathedral of praise and glory and honor to him and the restoration of culture, it will be missing a piece. It will be diminished. It will be less than what God intends. Let's turn a corner. We're like 30 minutes into this and I could just sit and talk about this. I feel inspired. I feel hopeful. I feel like I'm ready to get on my face and cry out and quit eating for the rest of my... No, <laughs> I, I want to pray. How are some and what are some ways that we can actually practically contend in prayer? And here's a big one for me. And this one came about just not too long ago. It's going to sound so elementary, so simple, but it is really profound. To contend and to contend truly, you need to pray out loud. Yeah. You need to pray out loud. Uh, it was a number of months ago now, I was talking with a young Christian who is really coming alive and awakening in her Christianity and so many ways, on so many areas. It's just really amazing to watch. And she was telling me that she had come to this realization that when she said she was praying about something, that really just meant I'm thinking about something. <laughs> And it struck me to my core. It's like, so true. <laughs> I, I will tell people or I will tell myself, I'm going to pray about that, which means I'm just going to ruminate on it. I'm just going to sit on it in my head and think about it. 
but there's something that breaks the heavens open and it even in an embodied way breaks our souls open mm -hmm. even just this morning i try to pray quietly under my breath but i found myself so intensely praying over certain issues in my own life in my own heart that i wanted to cry out i wanted to like cry out loudly and so to contend it would greatly benefit our prayer lives if we could find quiet sound muffled places where we can full-on get after it mm -hmm. Take some tissue in there, snot cry, wail, cry out, pound the chest, raise the vocal levels, and, and engage in a truly embodied vocal conversation and contending prayer uh, with your father. I love that too, because, you know, we all hear about the prayer closet and having a space where you are really able to get after it in prayer and for me, there are times when I literally do go into our closet. Our closet is very, <laughs> yeah. it's, you can walk into it, but it's carpeted. It's very quiet. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's like a sound, it's like a sound booth. And so I've had so many moments where I've gone in there and just gotten on my knees and prayed out loud and cried because it's, it's this, it's my own little prayer closet, literally. Yeah. Um, I would also say um, another form of contending prayer is contending with your body. So, you know, we've already mentioned this a little bit with contending out loud, but actually putting your body in po into postures of submission. So that could be bowing down, you know, getting on your knees and crying out and praying. It could be laying prostrate where you're just like flat on your stomach. You're laid down before the Lord contending and crying out. It might be where you're you're sitting there and physically you're opening your hands and your palms are up or your hands are raised in this posture of just like I always think of a child reaching out mm -hmm. for their their parent mm -hmm. like come please help pick me up you know kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but there is something really powerful again with leading with our body. Sometimes we don't have the feelings of wanting to contend. We want to just think about it like Dan said but there's something about physically putting our body in a posture of submission that leads us into contending. And so lead with your body and contend with your body. Again, I would, another form of uh, contending, I would say is contending with fasting. You know, Dan Which mentioned like that. super embodied prayer. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, one of the most embodied types of prayer because you're denying yourself something for something greater. And so... Um, I would just in, continue to encourage you guys and myself to just setting rhythms of fasting. And while fasting, yes, is good um, on a personal level, it tends to kind of excavate and get mm. rid of a lot in our souls. Mm -hmm. It also can produce some of the most purest forms of contending prayer and crying out while also just making you feel so close and vulnerable mm -hmm. and sensing that like that close intimacy and relationship and communion mm -hmm. with the spirit. So I would say contending through fasting is a, an incredible yeah. form of contending prayer. Yeah. Yeah. I have long considered and meditated on the reasoning for fasting in the eyes of God. And a lot of it for me boils down to when we go without food, we are confronted with our um, dependence on God that without food, we will die. And there's something about that intersection, that nexus between whoa, I am so dependent on God for provision for food that I'll die. It just, it does. It supercharges the prayers. Mm -hmm. It supercharges them in some unique way. Mm -hmm. So if we're contending out loud, we're contending with our body, we're fasting, 
it's just as important that this isn't just a personal practice. Nothing in the New Testament is written in a singular pronoun. It's mm. all plural. The entire New Testament is written in plural pronouns. It's never just you. It's always y'all to quote our beloved Texas brethren. <laughs> um, and so contending community, there is something really powerful about agreement in a community. And, you know, as Neighbors explores this this space of contemplative and charismatic expression of Christianity. Yeah. The bread and butter of our church is a lot of contemplative practices, solitude, silence, quiet, stillness, but some of the most powerful and favorite times that I have in prayer, especially on Sunday mornings in our pre-gathering prayer time is when whoever's leading pre-gathering prayer will be prompted by the spirit to just say, everybody, we're going to pray out loud at once in agreement, and we're going to do it loudly. And God knows how to sort through that chaos. Uh, one of my experiences in London recently was sitting in a room full of like 600 people, just singing and praying out at the top of their lungs. We had been led by this man who was 90 years old, who'd been leading the Tuesday morning Holy Trinity Brompton prayer meeting for 40 years, since like the early 80s. And uh, yeah, I don't want to romanticize this, but it was powerful to mm -hmm. just be led by this ancient prayer warrior and to listen to an entire community of Christians at the top of their lungs, pray out loud and contend for God's spirit to fall. Mm -hmm. So find that group of people that you can kind of get weird with and charismatic and, and express these contending desires out loud in agreement. Jesus said where two or more are gathered, I am there in the midst of them. And I just say, just because language, you know, shapes things, it's not weird. Oh yeah. It is, but it is powerful and charismatic isn't weird. I would say that for some it can just maybe because it feels uncomfortable, the experience may be, well, this is weird, but charismatic isn't weird. Spirit is with us. Yes. Spirit isn't weird. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Um, and then, you know, finally I would just say that contending really takes intentionality. So contend intentionally. And so, you know, as a church we've started doing the 12 hour prayer rooms. I want that to lead to a 24 hour prayer room, to a three day prayer room, to a seven day prayer room. I want us to be a people who pray. And so we're intentionally as a church setting aside times mm -hmm. for us to really get after contending. And again, that's also that contending in community. We're doing that communally as a church. Uh, you can have a prayer journal with specific prayers that are written down and you pray them specific times um, daily at specific times daily. And this is important because you contend when you set aside these times, you're contending whether you feel like it or not. There's something really powerful at saying, you know, at 8 a.m., 12 p.m., and 6 p.m., I'm going to pray and I'm going to contend. And you don't know what your day is going to be like, but you're saying, I've set aside these times to contend. And so there's something really powerful about mm. that. And you know, you may be motivated in those moments or you may not, but the fact is, you know, if it's the 12 hour prayer room or a set aside time that you've determined, you've signed up or you've set that side a time, that time aside. And so you gotta go, you gotta mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. Well, we hope, we hope and pray that you are inspired. Our whole prayer for this conversation was to uh, spark hope, new hope, new passion. I think, I, I think I'd like to close us with, um, a joy, a joy giving reality, like a reality, not just to romanticize this contending in prayer. And it's Christianity, as I've said so many times is a set of tensions and paradoxes. It's theologically a set of tensions that you have to hold 
like the Trinity as a set of tensions, the idea of God's providence and our partnership with him as a tension. All of these things are tensions. And one of them that arises in contending prayer is just what I'm calling the tension of contentment and contending. Contending is birthed out of desperation. Like we are not content. There is a, a holy discontent that births and fuels contending. It's, it's a longing. It's a desire. It's a, it's a wish. It's a dream. It's a, a, an empathy for a world so broken that we want to see it healed. And that is held in the tension of we are at one with our God and content. We are at peace. We are being still. We pray out loud, crying out loud, and then we are still and we know that he is God. This tensioning creates a fully mature, fully orbed Christian life and Christian experience where you're not living in these extreme poles, but you're living tethered and tensioned in the center uh, between contentment and contending, contending and contentment back and forth in between as God shapes our souls and does his work uh, through his word and through our prayers. And so as we wrap up this conversation, pause or conclude this podcast and take five minutes and cry out cry out and contend for yourself and for the world around us. Mm -hmm. Shalom, friends. Shalom. <laughs>